Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Well, all right. Well, today we are continuing with uh, what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, which we're kind of calling Easter, the rest of the story. And the basic idea behind this is that a lot of us know what happened on Easter morning. Hopefully you know what happened on Easter morning, that, you know, the tomb was emptied and Jesus rose from the dead. And that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And rightly so. That is, of course, the whole reason why we're here this morning is because we serve a risen Savior. But... What a lot of us don't know is that the story kind of continues. There's actually, the Bible keeps giving us more information about what happened that first Easter Sunday. Last week, we talked about what happened on the afternoon of Easter, and that Jesus showed up. A couple of his disciples were on a long walk after the worst weekend of their lives. They were walking from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles away. Jesus showed up in disguise, incognito, and says, hey, can I walk with you guys? And he walks along, and he kind of just plays dumb. He's like, hey, what happened this weekend? And they're like, have you not heard? And he's like, no, what things? And so they kind of go back and forth, and it's, it's really kind of a bizarre story. But in it all, we see that the, the playfulness of Jesus as he's coming to, to his own followers to comfort them and to, to uh, uh, reassure them. And eventually they make it to Emmaus, and they, they, they say, hey, come on, come and have a meal with us. And it says Jesus acted as if he was going to continue continue on his way. And they're like, no, Jesus, please. Or they didn't know it was him. They're like, please come and stay with us. He says, oh, okay. If you insist, they go, he go in, they sit, sit down, he breaks the bread and poof, he disappears like Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings. I mean, just gone. And they're like, whoa, that was amazing. And they get up and they go straight back to Jerusalem where they encounter the other disciples. Now, this is where we're going to pick up the story because now we're into Easter evening. And last week, we read a little bit of this, uh, a little bit of Luke's account of this, because we read about it both in Luke and in John. But today, I want to focus on John's telling of this first Easter evening, because it was uh, uh, pretty eventful, to say the least. So let's just go ahead and read the story together. This comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 22. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, before we really break this passage down, I just want to ask you a a question that I think helps kind of frame a little bit of what's going on here, and it's this. If you were Jesus, what would you do on that first Easter Sunday? You know, if if you had just conquered sin and death, and you had the the keys to hell on your belt, and the redemption of mankind in your pocket, and you've walked out of the tomb, what's the first thing that you're going to do? I mean, if it was me, I think I'd be out for a little bit of uh, vindication. I think I would want to just kind of casually stroll down back into Jerusalem and, 
And I'd want to maybe wander into the Roman garrison where the soldiers that had just flogged me are, are housed. And I think I'd just want to wander in and be like, hey, guys, what's happening? <laughs> and just watch all the color drain out of their face and be like, you're not so good at flogging, are you? You know, you're not so good at nailing people to the cross. And then I'd want to, after that happens, I would then want to wander into the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council, the, the, the parliament of Israel at the time. You know, these are the guys that got Jesus killed. And I think I'd want to just be like, hey, guys, so you thought you could kill me. I'm back. And you're all fired. You guys, you guys are so spiritual. You think you're the spiritual leaders of Israel, and yet the Messiah was right in front of you, and you missed it. So you're done. I'm going to take over. I'm in charge now. That would be my response. I would want some vindication. But thankfully, I was not in charge. <laughs> and thankfully, Jesus uh, is much more loving and much more selfless than that because he does the opposite of that. Instead, he's, he's not thinking about vindication. He's not thinking about himself at all. He's thinking about these people that loved him and followed him all the way to Jerusalem and had watched him be brutally murdered. And so he decides or he goes to them to bring comfort, to reassure them, to, to tell them the good news that he is no longer dead, but that he is alive. Now, as we saw last week, his way of telling them also is not what I would choose. Uh, I, I think I would just kind of want to walk and be like, hey, I'm back. Good news. Let's get excited. Tell the world. Instead, Jesus, as we talked about, almost seems to be, I mean, for, he, he seems playful, uh, another way of looking at this is almost like he's pranking his, his own disciples, but it's not done in a spirit of meanness. It's done in a spirit of, of genuine affection and compassion for his disciples. And so he, he comes back among them. He, he tells them the good news, and he does it in a way that nobody is ever going to forget. So then uh, let's go back now and look at how John tells this story, because uh, he, he, he gives us some details here that I think are really important for us to catch. So going back there to verse 19, it says that that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Now remember what's going on here. In the aftermath of Jesus' death, the disciples, they went into hiding because they were terrified that the same Jewish leaders who had just killed and crucified Jesus were now going to come after them. And so they went into hiding. And they, they went, some people think it was the same upper room where they had had the Lord's Supper. And they, they went back there and they, they locked the door. They had a bolt across. And I imagine they'd drawn all the curtains. And I imagine they were speaking in hushed tones and whispers and being very careful about being seen in public. They were terrified. And in addition to all this, they were grieved. I mean, their rabbi, who they loved and, and thought was so much more than just a rabbi, and who they loved, like they had genuine affection for Jesus. They had just seen him brutally executed. And so you, they're feeling fear, fear for their own lives. They're feeling deep grief and sorrow and confusion and disappointment and disillusionment. And, and, and so they're, they're huddled up in this house trying to think, well, what do we do next? I mean, I imagine they were just trying to wait until the, the mob mentality that had swept over Jerusalem kind of passed away, and then they could kind of slip out of the city unnoticed and head back to Galilee where they were from. I, you know, they, so, but they're holed up here on this Easter evening. But they're getting some 
confusing and puzzling reports. People are coming in. Mary comes in and says, the last thing that anybody's expected says, hey, I just went to the tomb and the stone has been rolled away and the body is gone and nobody's there now. And I saw Jesus in the garden. He's alive. And they're just like, what? No. And so Peter and John, they run back to the tomb. They, they go to check it out for themselves. And what they find is exactly what Mary said. They find an empty, the stone rolled away, and the tomb is empty, no body inside, but there's the, the grave clothes are still there. And they're like, what, what is, what's going on here? We don't understand. And then they, they head back. And at some point in the afternoon, we're told that Jesus actually appears to Peter and says, hey, Peter, I'm alive. And at the same time, as we talked about, Jesus also goes and appears to these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then they run back, and they've got this report that we've seen Jesus, he's alive. And so there's, I imagine the mood is now shifting. They're like, well, he's alive? How's this possible? What? They, they just didn't get it. This was the last thing that they expected to happen. But I expect there was some... Uh, 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 wonder and uh, like questioning and excitement is, could this be true? Is this possible? Is Jesus alive? And then all of the sudden, in the middle of all this conversation, Jesus appears. <laughs> like out of nowhere. This, now, this wasn't like Jesus just quietly crept in. He unlocks the door and sneaks up on everybody. This, this is saying that Jesus literally appeared. And I imagine it scared the bejesus out of these guys. I don't know what a bejesus is, but I'm sure it scared it out of them. You know, they're, they're terrified, and all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up there. We talked about this last week. There's something about the way that Jesus, uh, Jesus' resurrected body that is not confined to the normal rules of space and time and physics that we're all normally confined to. There's something about the resurrected body that seems to not have a problem uh, walking through locked doors, that doesn't have a problem appearing and disappearing at will. And all of a sudden, Jesus is there among them, and it scares them to death. I, we talked about this last week, but I love this line from Luke, you'll just look at it again. He says, Jesus was himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. You know, they, they literally were like, ah! <laughs> and so Jesus then, we, he goes on and he says, look, it's me. Look, look, look at the, my hands. Look at my side. Look at my feet. And then, and then he says, has anybody, anybody got anything to eat? I'm hungry. You know, redeeming mankind is actually tiring, you know, and I kind of could use a snack. And they, they give him a piece of broiled fish, and he eats it, and he's like, look, ghosts don't eat fish. And, and they realize now they've had the chance to talk to him, for him to respond to them, for, for them to touch him, and now they've seen him eat. And so he's proving to them this isn't just a disembodied spirit, but this is a resurrected Jesus. He is alive. So that's what's going on here. But I want to draw your attention to the first thing that Jesus says when he shows up in this room. And it's the same thing in both Luke and John's account. Let's look at it again. He says this. He says, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, at first glance, that, that may not seem all that significant. I mean, after all, this was actually the standard Jewish greeting, you know, shalom. This is kind of like saying, how's it going? You know, this is just a standard thing that people would greet each other with. And so you could, just, you could easily just read through that and not think anything of it. But given everything else that's going on in this passage, it seems that there's something more 
going on here than just saying hi. And the first reason I think this is that, is that we're not told of Jesus using this phrase at any other point until after his resurrection. If you go through all the Gospels, Jesus never says, peace be with you, until after he's risen from the dead. And the second clue is that this phrase is used twice here in this story. He says, peace be with you once. He lets him touch his hands inside. He says, peace be with you again. So why the repetition? And then the following week, he shows up again, surprises him. Surprise, it's me, with Thomas in the room, because Thomas for, one, for some reason or another, he wasn't there this first night when Jesus showed up. I mean, Thomas must have felt like, oh man, I knew it. I knew I shouldn't have gone out for pizza, you know, or whatever he was doing at that time. <laughs> but Jesus shows up again, and the very first thing he says is, peace be with you. So in all these accounts, after Jesus rises from the dead, he's saying, peace be with you. So that repetition there is the author's way of drawing our attention to something greater going on here, something more than just saying, hey guys, how's it going? So what's the significance of this? I think that this, I like how the translators translate this phrase uh, from the Greek. It's, you know, peace be with you. We just run over that phrase, but we don't really think about what that means. Think about that peace be with you. I think Jesus is saying, here guys, I'm going to give you peace and it's going to be with you. It's going to indwell you. It's going to be with you through all that is to come. And I mean, what a gift this is for his disciples. I mean, after the worst weekend of their lives, and their emotions are just all over the map. They've gone from the, the lowest of lows and now the highest, and then they're scared to death and now the highest of highs. Jesus offers them peace. And this is, if you remember, this is actually what he promised to do for them. In his final address to them before he went to the cross at the Last Supper, there's this long, long address that John records for us. It's chapters 14 to 17. Jesus is saying, uh, it's giving them his kind of final instructions. And one of the things he says in John 14, 27 is this. He says, do we have it here? There we go. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is offering them his peace. He's saying, my peace I'm going to give to you. And now, here that he's resurrected, Jesus is coming to them and he's saying, I'm giving you my peace to be with you. Now, in one sense, that just sounds like a nice sentiment, you know, like, you know, you guys are going to be fine, don't worry about anything, it's all going to be okay. But there's a substance to the peace that Jesus offers that goes beyond just our normal platitudes and wishful thinking. Jesus didn't just, didn't, Jesus wasn't just wishing them peace, Jesus was giving them his peace. Jesus actually is Peace. So you could say it this way, peace is a person. Peace isn't just a, a state of external circumstances. The, the peace that Jesus offers us is himself. Jesus embodied peace. The, the kingdom of God that he inaugurated is a kingdom of peace. And if you think about it, that makes sense. I mean, what, what's the root of all the chaos and all the lack of peace in our world? It's our sin, 
It's our disobedience. It's our rebellion against God. But the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated is fundamentally different. The kingdom of God is one of peace, and peace starts with a person, and that person is Jesus. So let me, I know that's kind of a a ethereal thought, but let me build this out a little bit more. Remember what Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. Looking, Isaiah, 700 years before the coming of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he sees into the future. And this, this is what he writes in Isaiah 9. He says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. What an amazing statement. He's saying Jesus is the Prince of Peace, among other things there. And that he's going to establish a kingdom, a reign of peace that is never going to end. There's something about Jesus and his kingdom that brings a a substantial peace that just is a game changer. And as you read through the Gospels, you see this theme brought up over and over again. When the angels announce Jesus' birth, they say, they say, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. He's saying that this this kingdom that, that Isaiah was talking about is now coming, peace on earth. And wherever light, wherever Jesus goes throughout the Gospels, you see him bringing that peace with him. For example, when Jesus calmed the storm, you remember that story? Jesus has a full day of ministry. He and his disciples get on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and they start crossing this boat. Now, these guys, remember, Jesus' disciples, many of them were fishermen, had lived their life on the Sea of Galilee, had been trained to go out on boats and, and live in that, that, that uh, fish in that, ocean, that sea since they were young. And they go out there, and a storm comes up. And what would happen is uh, these east winds would blow, this really hard, uh, ferocious storms that would come out of nowhere, and you did not want to be in a boat on that lake when it happens. And what happens is this, this, they're out there, and this wind comes up. Jesus is so exhausted from ministry, which as a pastor, I just love. Like, when I'm done on Sundays, I'm like a zombie. My family can tell you, I get home, and I'm just like, I, I can't do anything. I just need to go to sleep. So I totally get what Jesus is doing here. He's exhausted from a full day of ministry, and he's knocked out in the, in the back of the boat. He's sound asleep. But the storm comes up, and, and the disciples... These experienced fishermen, they know they're in trouble. This is a serious enough storm for them to be freaked out and concerned to where they finally am like, we got to wake them up, man. We're going to drown out here. We don't want to die. We don't want Jesus to die. I'm sure he doesn't want to die, so we better do something. They go and they wake him up, and what does Jesus say? He looks at the, the wind and the waves, and he says, peace, be still. And the waters become calm. I like what Bill Johnson says about this, that Jesus was just manifesting externally what was going on in him internally. I mean, I think Jesus was more than just tired in that situation. I just think he was really at peace. He was was so at one with God and connected with his Father that that his heart was, was just... Uh, had this manifest peace in it, so much so that, that he had the authority to command peace into the chaos around him, and it happened. 
immediately. So Jesus is, uh, he, he has a piece of that, that is substantial. This isn't just wishful thinking. This isn't just like, uh, you know, I hope everything goes okay, or I'm sure it'll all work out. Just some sort of nice kind of throwaway phrase. This is a piece with weight to it. But what do we mean by peace? I mean, I, I've been kind of throwing this phrase around, and I think many of us think of peace as the absence of conflict or war, and of course that is part of what it means. But that's not really what Jesus means here. The peace that Jesus offers us is a peace that is, uh, is, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be uh, no storms or no conflicts or no difficulty in our lives. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, you're going to not have any difficulty or any, it, it's, it, it's that you'll have peace in your external circumstances. In fact, he says the exact opposite. He says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So he says it right there. This is not a piece of external circumstances. In this world you will have many trials and sorrows. Isn't that encouraging? Why don't we put that like on our, you know, on our, uh, uh, our phones or text that out or things like that? That's not something that we like to talk about, but Jesus isn't saying following me is a, is, is a get out of all the troubles and pains in your life card. It's still going, going to be trials and sorrows in this world, but he's saying, I'm going to give you peace in me and take heart because I have overcome the world. Another way of saying it this way, the peace that Jesus offers isn't a peace that depends on our circumstances, it's a peace that transcends our circumstances. Say that again, the peace that Jesus offers isn't a peace that depends on our circumstances, it's a peace that transcends our circumstances. Again, the, the calming of the storm is a great example of this. You know, Jesus was in the midst of this terrifying storm, and his external circumstances looked grim. Experienced boatmen and fishermen are terrified, but internally his heart and his mind were at such peace that he was able to enforce that peace on his external circumstances. So the peace comes from within, not from without. Now, of course, the peace that Jesus is talking about here, first and foremost, has to come from our union with God. And the problem, of course, that we face as, as people is that that union was broken when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And, and every one of us ever since has, has uh, been affected by that decision and our choice to sin. And so our relationship with God, our communion with God is broken. And it's hard to have any real peace unless you're at peace with God. It's like Jesus said, and what does it do to gain the whole world and, let, and yet forfeit your soul? The, the whole idea is that, is that if we're not in union with God, if we're not connected with God, if we're not at peace with God, you can have all the money in the world, all the success in the world, everything that you want, but ultimately it's not going to satisfy. Ultimately, there's going to be something deep in your heart that's, just, that, that's, that's fighting for something more. I like the way St. Augustine said it. He said, our hearts are restless until, they find, until it finds its rest in you. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And the reason that Jesus is greeting his disciples with the phrase, peace be with you for the very first time, is because of what transpired on the cross. Jesus 
paid the penalty for our sins and reconciled us to God. And now peace with God is available like it had never been before. That's why Jesus is able to say this now. He's like, what I've just done for you on the cross has changed everything. Now you can be reunited with God. You can be reconciled to him through what I've done. But then notice what Jesus does next. Again, he said, peace be with you. So this is the second time he uses it. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting that Jesus breathes on them. I, I, I don't know what this must have looked like. It must have been kind of awkward. <sighs> come here, Peter. Thomas, come here. Oh, no, Thomas wasn't there. Uh, uh, Thaddeus, come here. <sighs> it must have been kind of a strange situation, but we got to understand that, that Jesus isn't just trying to be awkward here. There's something going on. Once again, there's a purpose to, uh, there's a method to the madness, so to speak. Jesus is doing, he's imparting to them something, but this is also a prophetic action that recalls what happened in the garden. If we go all the way back to Genesis and the, and the, the creation of man, it says that God formed man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him, and then he's, he forms Adam from the dust, and what does he do? He breathes the breath of life into Adam, and he comes alive, and what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's reminding his Jewish disciples who would have, who would have connected this what, of that very first time. And, and what was that situation in the garden? You know, that was the last time mankind was at peace with God. Sin hadn't entered the world yet. There was peace between God and man that had been severed the moment the fall happened. And now the resurrected Jesus, the, 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 uh, the second Adam, so to speak, that replaces the first Adam, he comes along and he gives mankind a new start. He gives them that reconciled relationship with God that they had lost ever since the garden. And he breathes that life into them again. And that's how this peace is possible. You know, if we say that peace is a person and that peace is Jesus, then like obviously the disciples, they got to be physically present with Jesus. And, and I think who wouldn't want that, right? You know, who wouldn't want five minutes with Jesus? I mean, we all want that. But, but actually what I contend, and I know I've talked about this before, but it's worth saying again, we have something better. We have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells with us in all times and in all places and in, in, in every single person. This is the amazing reality that we now have access to Jesus. And again, going back to what he said before he went to the cross, he promised them this. He said in John 14, 18, he said, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. And this is said to his disciples, obviously, in the moment but this obviously applies to all of us as well as followers of Jesus. He's saying, I will not abandon you. So you can put your name on there. <laughs> he is not going to abandon you. He will come to you. How? It says in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Oh, that's so awesome. I love that. It's one of my daily prayers. Holy Spirit, lead me into all truth. 
But the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is His living daily presence with us. And so we have access to Jesus anywhere, anytime, any place. He is with us. And this is the beauty of the resurrection. So Jesus is breathing on them. He's giving humanity a new start. And he's saying, I'm not just going to be with you now. I'm going to be in you now. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to walk with you. I will be with you until the end of the age. So my point here is that when he breathed on his disciples, he gave them the Holy Spirit. He's giving humanity a new start. And he's going to be with them. And that same peace that Jesus gives them is available for us today by the same Spirit that He gave to them. But I say all this, and it all sounds good. I'm sure you're all like, yeah, that, that's great. That's encouraging. Jesus is peace. I get that. But there's a problem. And it's a problem that's probably been running through your mind as I've been talking about, and that's this. What if we're not experiencing peace? <laughs> I mean, I've been a pastor for long enough to know that not all of us are just floating along on this cloud of peace. You know, we're not, we're not all experiencing the peace that I'm talking about. You might be thinking, man, that sounds amazing, but that's not been my experience, at least especially over the last two years. I, so many of us have battled with anxiety and fear, and now, you know, with the war in Ukraine and all that's going on, there's so much that we have to be anxious about. And peace would not be how most of us have described the last few years. So what does it mean? Does it mean we're failures as Christians? Does it mean that we're not, we, we just need to, to try harder or do more? I mean, listen, there's all kinds of reasons why we may not be experiencing the peace of God. I mean, personally, I, I think that there's something about our modern age and our modern technology and all that, that life is right now that just breeds anxiety in our hearts. I was talking to a friend of mine who grew up in Africa, and he, uh, he was telling, you know, that, telling me how the people that he lived in among, they lived in a much more kind of rustic, rural, he said kind of grittier existence, but there was hardly any anxiety. But there's something about our modern world, and maybe it's that we just know what's going on anywhere in the world at any time, and we, we just tend to worry about all the stuff that's going on, whereas we weren't created to know what all is going on all around the world instantaneously. We can only carry so much. So I could talk about that all day, but my point is that there's, there's something in the air that I think makes us predisposed to anxiety in a way that maybe previous generations were not. And there's many, many other reasons why anxiety can creep up in us. But why is it that we can genuinely believe that Jesus is peace, that he brings peace, and still be filled with anxiety? That's the question that I often wrestle with. And I think a lot of Christians say when they first become a follower of Jesus, they experience his peace. That's been the testimony of many, many people. It's like, I, I, I chose to place my faith in Jesus. I surrendered my life to him, and the peace of God just, just, just flooded my soul. How many of you here would say that's true? Okay, a fair number of hands go up. I think what happens is that, in a sense, we get a season of grace, a window to experience the peace of God. It's a, just a foretaste of the kingdom to come. But then I think there's something else that's going on here. It's that we've got to learn to cultivate the peace of Christ in our lives. 
I think God, in his desire to mature us and develop us, he doesn't just leave us in this place of, ah, I just get to enjoy the peace of God now, and it doesn't really matter what's going on. I can just enjoy the peace of God. That, that's a beautiful thing, but that often seems to be a seasonal thing. We have seasons where God gives us that grace, and we have seasons where that grace doesn't seem to be there. And it doesn't mean that you're failing as a Christian. It doesn't mean that, 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 uh, it, it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. I think God is inviting us into greater maturity. I think he's saying, hey, I want you to learn to cultivate peace in your own hearts. It's why I was talking to Lauren about it this week as I was rereading the, uh, the, the, the story of the calming of the storm. And Jesus kind of rebukes his disciples when they're like, hey, do you not care that we're about to drown? And he's like, why are you frightened? Why are you afraid? And, and I, it always puzzled me, like, isn't that the most natural thing in the world for them to do, to ask this, to ask Jesus to wake up, and didn't they go to the right source and ask him to step in? I mean, wasn't that the right thing to do? But I think Jesus is challenging them to learn to cultivate peace in their own heart in the same way that he does. And that cultivation, it's like, it's like uh, you know, think of gardening. You know, when you garden, you, you've got to do certain things on a regular basis. You know, you've got to till the soil, you've got to plant the seeds, you've got to water it, you've got to uh, fertilize it, you've got to pull up weeds. And, and, and gardens just aren't static. If you just leave it static, it just goes wild, right? And so if you want a good, healthy, thriving garden, you've got to tend to it probably on a daily basis. If you're a serious gardener, you're out there tending to it, you're, you're pruning, you're uprooting weeds, all of those things. And I think the same goes true, the same is true for us. We've got to tend to our own souls. We've got to uh, uh, look at what needs to be uprooted in our lives, and the Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us navigate all this. As we saw, the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, and that might be, hey, that lie that you're believing about God, that needs to go. That sin in your life, that may need to go. That, that possession that's possessing you, that, that might need to go. Whatever it is that's disrupting the peace that, of Christ that is, has been given to us, the Holy Spirit will, will point those out. And, and so we have to think of ourselves as kind of tending to our souls on a daily basis, just removing the things that disrupt peace in our hearts. So practically, what does this look like? I mean, it's, it's not that complicated, but I think what we're looking for here is an exchange. We want to take the things... First of all, I just want to say you, don't want, you just don't want to tolerate anything in your life that is creating distance between you and God. Anything in your life that's causing you to not be aware, feel God's peace. And again, sometimes this is a walk of faith, so you don't always just want to judge it by feelings. Sometimes you just have to kind of trust and, and believe by faith in what you're doing. But you don't want to tolerate anything you know is disrupting the peace of God in your life. So you're looking to exchange whatever that is with his peace. And I think it starts by being honest about what you're anxious about. Now, for some of you, that's not hard. Some of you are like, yeah, I know what bothers me. I know what I'm worried about. But for some of you, maybe you just, you're not really in touch with what's going on in your heart, or maybe you're so spiritual, you would never admit to being worried or anxious about anything. But I think all of us, deep down, we've got things that we're concerned about, things that we're unsure about, maybe something we're angry about, all of these things that, that are going on underneath us, we have to just be honest with us. And then I want to encourage you to just simply bring those to Jesus in prayer. Whatever it is, you know, we, we bring those to him and we exchange them with 
uh, what, what God has for us. I mean, I like how Peter says this. He says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I love that. We're invited to give all your worries. And a lot of us, we think, oh, God's not concerned about my worries about, you know, my car breaking down, or he's not worried about this or that. And we, we tend to think, nah, he, I don't need to bring that to God. But God invites us to bring all your worries and cares to God because he cares about those little details in your life. Jesus said that, that God cares about the sparrow. How much more will he care for you? So we can bring all of our cares and our anxieties to him. And that might mean saying, look, God, I'm concerned about what the doctor is going to say when I see him on Monday. Or God, I'm concerned about the decisions that my child is making. Or God, I'm concerned about my finances. Or I'm concerned about my job. Or I'm, I'm worried about what's happening in Ukraine right, right now and where that might go. Whatever it is, Peter's saying, hey, give those worries and cares to God. There's nothing too trivial. He cares about you more than you know. And then as you surrender it to God, as you bring it to him, you, you, you let go of it. There's a place of bringing and then surrendering and exchanging it for his peace. I like how Paul puts this in Philippians 4, 7. Many of you are familiar with this verse, but he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done, and then you will experience God's peace. So there's kind of an equation working here. He's saying, pray about everything. Give it to God in prayer, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So we're looking for this exchange, and I think that exchange needs to be happening on a regular basis. Anytime something creeps up in your heart that you know is worrying you or stressing you, making you angry, making you fearful, we're taking that to God, and we're doing whatever it takes to uncurl our hands from whatever it is we're anxious about, and we surrender it to him, and then we receive his peace in return. Now, as I say all this, you might be thinking, yeah, that sounds good, but Todd, you don't know what I'm dealing with. If I told you what I was dealing with, you would feel there's no way that you would be peaceful. And you're probably right. Like, if I understood what you were dealing with, I might feel anxious too. But this has been tried and tested throughout all of Christendom. And, and the testimony of Christians throughout the centuries has been that Jesus met me in my moment of greatest struggle, and I had this inexplicable, irrational, ir irrational, irrational, unexplainable peace that surpassed my understanding. And so I wanted to close today by just letting you listen to this testimony of a friend named Michelle who uh, had uh, uh, one of the most challenging experiences a parent could ever imagine. And uh, as I was writing this message, her story kept coming to mind. So I, I messaged her and I said, hey, can you just share the story again? And I was planning on just telling it, but actually she tells it so well that I'm just going to play the recording for you because I think when you hear her testimony, it just explains so much better than I could anything or what I'm, what I'm trying to say this morning. So let's listen to Michelle as she shares her story. It was back, uh, I guess the, you know, we had had just some really uh, hard times with our, one of our daughters and uh, things had been getting progressively worse. She was really kind of off the deep end uh, 
at the time. Uh, but, you know, things like kept going, getting from bad to worse to horrific to um, worse than a uh, worse nightmare than I think any parent can ever dream up on their own. Um, but uh, I guess the the specific thing that you're talking about was uh, our daughter ran away, and uh, she was, and we had to let her go because legally we couldn't keep her there. Um, but uh, she ran away, and she was living on the streets. She was doing drugs, um, and it was right at the. Uh, beginning of human trafficking being made uh, um, a hot topic and like the publicity for uh, for that. And so it was always an in-your-face in uh, fear um, because she was ripe for that. Uh, but she was living on the streets and she wouldn't tell us where she was. And so we had no idea if she was alive or dead or being trafficked or uh, who knows what. And, uh, you know, I just remember the utter uh, helplessness and pain and uh, devastation and uh, even betrayal, rejection, just all of these different uh, emotions and situations and uh, just helplessness and hopelessness, just uh, being swirling all around me and through me. And it was just, I, I was a mess, you know, as, you know, any mother would be. But, uh, you know, I can remember crying all the time. And, you know, at one point I just fell into a heap on the floor and I was just sobbing, just, uh, I couldn't hold on anymore. And uh, the Lord showed up. You know, he just showed up in my pain uh, that was beyond pain I could ever imagine. And he was on the floor with me, crying and grieving. But the difference was I was utterly um, uh, hopeless and desperate. And he was not. Uh, he was down there going through it with me. But he still had hope. He still had, uh, he was still in the situation. And uh, he was not going to let her go. And so it wasn't, a, so this peace just came over me. And I walked with that. Uh, I still walk with that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I still walk with that, uh, but it wasn't, then I had, um, faith that, you know, everything was going to be okay or anything like that because it wasn't, and I was not promised a good ending to the story, but the peace was that he was still there in the midst of it and that he was not letting her go and he was not letting me go. Uh, you know, I can't really explain it. It doesn't make any sense. And I wish that I could say I did this, this, and this, and the peace came, but there was nothing. It was all him. Uh, and just miraculous. It was the peace that passes all understanding. Uh, 
and none of it made any sense. But my my trust and my hope and my faith was in him, not in my outcome. And uh, and I've had to hold on to that throughout the years because, again, we're not promised a happy ending. And uh, my hope can't be in that. And, you know, it has to be just in him. Well, I'll get some uh, music. <laughs> there we go. I love that story. Um, because that is one of the hardest things a mother could ever go through. And I remember when she first told me that story, uh, just thinking, that is a supernatural peace. And that is what Jesus offers to us. It's a peace that, that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's something that only comes from Him. So I don't know where you are this morning. If you're um, you know, just in a place of just utter brokenness, or if you're in a place of real anxiety, maybe you've got chronic anxiety and you're on medication right now. I just want you to know God loves you and he cares for you and, and he wants to meet you in your place of, of struggle and anxiety and fear. He wants to meet with you in the same way he met with Michelle. He wants to bring that peace. So what I want to do to close today is I just want to give us a moment to practice that exchange. And again, this isn't a formula, but this is something I've used uh, quite a bit to help me begin to let go of the stuff that I'm carrying and to receive from Him in the pattern that we saw here in this, in this passage. And so what I'd like for you to do is just maybe close your eyes, and I'm just going to lead you in a time of prayer Peter says, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. Ask Jesus what you need to let go of. hearts, just pray something along the lines of, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you. And in your mind's eye, you're just trying to open up your hands, like the things that you're worried about, think of them as like you've got a grip on them. And now you're just trying to open up your hands and give it to God. I give everyone and everything to you. Depending on what's going on, you might have to come back to that prayer over and over again throughout the day. But the whole point is to keep surrendering it back to him, giving it back to him. Give everyone and everything to you. I give you that specific area that is so distressing to me. specific people, those things to God. 
Lord, just as you gave the Holy Spirit to those first disciples on that first Easter Sunday. Lord, we just say we need your Spirit. For some, that's for the first time, we need to place our faith in you and receive the Holy Spirit. For others, we need to be, we need to be filled with more of you. We need to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So Lord, fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh today. I pray that the river of life would fill us, restore us, renew us, and surround us today. We need more of you, God. Saturate us with your love. Saturate us with your life. Now let's just linger there for a moment. Fill us, Lord. Sometimes in this place, I like to just pray the simple prayer, more of you, God, as I breathe in, and less of me as I breathe out. More of you, Jesus, and less of me. Again, I want to encourage you not to to be too consumed with what you feel. Some of you will feel, tangibly feel the peace of God flooding your, your being. Some of you won't feel anything. But just believe and receive by faith. Christianity is not a faith of feelings. It's a faith of faith. We're, we're believing that God is doing something when we turn our heart to him. So if you're connecting with God right now and you want to continue to do that, just stay in your seat, keep doing that. But for the, I'm gonna, I've asked Katrina to just sing a simple chorus where we just fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. And then that's what, we're, what we will conclude today. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.